Hello and welcome to the A to Z of Doctor Who, episode L. I'm a man with the implausible name of Ian Martin and I'm the author of the Winter Hill novels, which you can find on Kindle. And I'm also the presenter of Five Minute Fiction, which you can find on, you know, where podcasts come from. And without any further ado, because time is pressing, let's crack on with a look at how the letter L has been served by Doctor Who. Last Christmas, Stephen Moffat turned to Wham! for the title of his Christmas special episode and was all set to go with Fairy Tale of New York until ultimately settling on the return of Doctor Mysterio for last year's episode, which beloved bygone Christmas chart-topper will he reference in this year's Christmas episode, which is slated to be Peter Capaldi's final turn as Twelvey. Because if it's Christmas in Blobbyland, I'm out. Last of the Time Lords. It would be easy and rather lazy simply to observe, as many others have done before me, that this episode is a a steaming pile of arse piss. However, I'm a busy man. What's next? Last time I ever watched Doctor Who. The. Fans are always saying, that's the last time I ever watched Doctor Who. But the other eight million viewers don't seem to miss them very much. Any controversial bit of casting news or sophisticated storytelling has these people moaning and raging on the social media like demented wolves with Twitter accounts. JNT, for example, made the show too pantomime. RTD's version of the show was too gay. Stephen Moffat's Doctor Who is too clever for these people. They can't abide a female master and start crying when the Doctor kisses anyone. But what would it take for you to stop watching? A Doctor of Colour? A female Doctor? Nicholas Briggs as the Doctor? Uh, Actually, yes. Yeah, that last one made me do a little bit of sick in my mouth. Lazarus Experiment. The. In this classic tale from the third series of New Who, a mad scientist invents a device that transmogrifies incontinent old men into exact replicas of the TV actor and writer Mark Gatiss from off of out of that The League of Gentlemen, a truly horrific idea which many people feel was underutilised. Leela People poo-poo the concept of the Doctor's pretty female companion as a sexist trope merely there to provide something for the dads. To burst this myth forever, the character of Leela was created and watching her running around dressed only in a scrap of leather for a couple of years gave dads around the world plenty to reflect upon. Leon Nye Tai cunning anagram of Anthony Ainley used in the credits to disguise the presence of the master in the story Time Flight, a clever ruse which they'd never be able to use to hoodwink today's eagle-eyed fandom, of course. That said, I see there's a see Mimsy, go hell, in the cast of this year's series finale, but that might just be a subliminal message to sexually curious adolescents from the Catholic Church. Lethbridge Stewart, Brigadier Alistair Gordon. The unit dating controversy is one of Doctor Who's biggest areas of fan speculation. We know Captain Yates was at it like a rat up a drainpipe with anyone he could get his way with, but what was the deal with the brig? Sergeant Benton's diary reveals that apart from a cheeky snog with Joe Grant at a fairly downbeat Christmas office party, uh, Alistair didn't do so well with the ladies. Years in the army working his way up to corporal had come at the expense of pursuing an active love life, 
and little, if anything, is known about his sexual exploits until he headed up UNIT. The recent declassification of his archives revealed a sheaf of poetry written to Sarah Jane Smith, and a memo entitled Note to Self, which read, The Doctor Makes a Terrible Wingman. Ironically, Bock, literally a winged man, proved far more successful as a sexual lubricant because everyone saw the brigadier having it off with local white witch Olive Hawthorne round the back of the Devil's End Tesco's. Eventually, while on extended leave from unit and working as a maths teacher, he began an affair with a lady called Doris, which was to be the love of his life. Doris, I ask you. Life, eh? As a young Doctor Who fan in the 1980s, I was often told to get a life, and I suppose this is what happened to me in the gap between survival and Rose when I definitely got a life and took a walk on the wild side by watching The X-Files and Buffy instead. Oh, and Firefly. It was okay, but I quite liked Doctor Who, so I'll probably stick with it, to be honest. Logopolis. From the secret diary of John Nathan Turner, aged 31 and three quarters. You wouldn't believe the palaver we had in the studio today, filming the final few minutes of Logopolis. It all started to go wrong when Anthony Ainley, who plays the Doctor's nemesis, the Master, said he was scared of heights, so couldn't film the scenes set on the gantry of a huge radio telescope. So we lost valuable minutes building a cardboard replica of the Pharos project in Studio Two. Then Ainley announced she couldn't be filmed staring villainously through the window of the control room, because she was scared that windows can steal your soul. So we had to think and ask someone to do a pretty lifelike drawing of the master while we shot Tom's last scene as he dangled from a cable hundreds of feet above the ground. Baker, too, refused to do the scene on location, so we hastily dangled a cable from the roof of Studio 3 and stuck him up on a ladder. The idea was... He'd dangle from it with both hands, looking suitably heroic, but the ladder we got for him was about a foot too tall, so he was clearly in far less peril than we needed. I went outside for a quick packet of Rothmans and then went back in. Baker was refusing to let go of the cable. "'No, you must die, Doctor,' I entreated. "'Die, Doctor! Die, Doctor! Die, Doctor!' I called from the gallery." I could see Ainley taking notes. Baker held the cable firmly in his hands. "'But do you have the right?' he asked in sombre tones. "'I've got Peter Davison on standby, and he says he needs to be massaging a chicken's uterus over at Studio 9 in 30 minutes,' I snapped. "'Is he still filming all creatures?' Ainley asked. "'I've no idea,' I replied. But come on, Tom, we're up against a deadline here, and we'd all appreciate it if we could just let go now. Appreciate it, he roared. Appreciate it! Then he overbalanced and fell off the ladder, so that was the shot we used. We couldn't show him falling, so the scene lost some drama. But in the end, we filmed the regeneration. Tom was seen to reach behind him. The watcher stepped into the clearing and began to merge with him, and Davison, fresh from the shower, took his place. The Time Lord took on his new form, while Tom Baker nipped out the back door 
with a hastily packed hold-all, which I soon discovered contained three bottles of vodka from my personal office supply. I had my eye on those, Adric Waterhouse muttered, so I gave him a clip round the ear and told him that if he behaved himself I'd let him try a nip of shandy on the set of the next adventure, Castrovalva, reasoning what could go wrong. Long game, the... The mighty Jagrafess of the holy hadrogesic Maxarodenfo would have been a much better monster if the design hadn't so closely resembled a gibbon's clitoris, but would he have been as memorable? Love and Monsters The first self-consciously Dr. Light episode ever, apart from all the ones where William Hartnell couldn't be bothered to turn up for. A lot of people didn't like this one because Peter Kay looked hideous and unconvincing, and his Absorvaloff costume wasn't much better either. I think it was a clever, bold and engaging script, pointing the lens directly onto the world of fandom itself and the internal politics that can make sharing a hobby with a group of other people utterly impossible. And it remains the only episode to end with the character being guaranteed oral sex from a cement paving stone. And they let children watch this.